We all want to like the people we work with, but have you spent much time thinking about it from the couple's perspective? Remember, they want to like the people they work with too. It's not just about how well you can meet their needs on the wedding day. They need to know that every day until then, you're going to be worth it too. In this episode of Own Your Business, I'll introduce you to mirror neurons and sales mirroring, why they help humans survive, and how they'll help your business thrive. And then we'll end with five specific tactics you can use to mirror couples during the sales process. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Spring has sprung around the Jacobson house. It's amazing. The temperatures have finally creeped above 50 degrees on most days. Our trees outside, they're popping. We have blooms everywhere. We've got a a bunch of cherry trees at the entrance of our property. And then we've got some other fruit trees that are spread around. A couple of them we have hammocks in. Others are by the chicken coop. And we're also getting the garden going. It is so much fun to plan out what we've got happening for this year's flowers and herbs and other vegetables. But most of the time, I know that it's spring because the lawn grows like a weed. It's crazy. It's like a jungle in Costa Rica during rainy season. Now, for those of you who don't know, we live on San Juan Island in Washington State. It's a small rural community, no stoplights. It's the kind of place where it takes two hours to go grocery shopping because there's one store that all the locals go to. And every time you turn down an aisle, it means you're likely to run into another person you know. And that means another two to five minute conversation. Now, we've only got one town on the island. It's called Friday Harbor. There's about 2,000 people, two and a half thousand people who live here full time. The other 6,000 or so people who live on San Juan Island are spread around 55 square miles. Our little subdivision, if you can call it that, looks like a figure eight. It's two miles to go around the perimeter of it. And there's only maybe about 30 houses or so. Most of them are on the ring. And then in the middle are two big open plots. And we have nearly two acres on our little swath of land. And more than half of it is a lawn. And that's the one that I've got to mow. Now, when we first moved to the island, I brought the mower that we had in Dallas. Now, the mower we had in Dallas was a great Toro mower, self-propelled, but it had a really small, I think it's 18-inch deck, which means that it only cuts 18 inches of grass as you mow through the yard. Now, this worked just fine at first because I liked the exercise. It was new. I was getting to know the property, but it's about seven miles of walking to mow the lawn. Seven miles. That's a lot. It takes about three hours. And with all the weed whacking that needs to be done along the curb and the trees and other areas you can't get to, it's about four hours. Now, I want to get the kids to do it now that they're teenagers, 13 years old, but I don't know if they're going to do it with this ride uh, walking behind mower. I think they need it with a riding mower. So unfortunately, now that I made the decision to pony up two, three thousand dollars to get a mower, I'm finding that it's really hard to find one here because of supply chain issues and also because we live on this island where it takes a boat to get everything to it. So until I can make that happen, I'm still mowing with the walk behind mower. And the good news is that 
while it gives me some exercise, it also gives me a chance to listen to audiobooks. Lots of them. Now, last year, I listened to about six on my noise-canceling headphones during the spring and early summer when the grass was growing the fastest. I had plenty of time out there. I was out there once every seven to ten days going through the lawn, and, and I learned a lot through the audiobooks that I was listening to. And this spring, I'm doing the same thing. And I got to tell you, I'm on a bit of a Brene Brown kick. Now, if you were following along with my Think Week in end of March, beginning of April, you might have seen that I picked up Atlas of the Heart. And that was my, my first Think Week book. And after I read Atlas of the Heart, I got into Rising Strong, which is one of the books that Brene Brown has written. And I'm working through that and I'm doing that you know, in, in analog. I'm actually reading the book, but I wanted to have something that I could also listen to as I was driving or walking or mowing the lawn. So Gifts of Imperfection made it to my audiobook list and I started it this last weekend while I was behind the mower. Now, I don't know how many of you have read it, but so far I love it. In the early chapters of the book, she talks about our human need to belong, to connect with others. It's a big part of what it is that she does with her work. And she says that it's wired in our brains to want to connect. And I know that is true. I know that's true because I believe her and her research, but also because I've read about it in so many other areas. And that's because people now have found that being wired to connect was important for survival. Go back 50,000 years ago to cave days. Now, those who survived were the ones that were accepted by the group because in the cave days, you couldn't survive on your own. Human beings are not particularly fast. We are not particularly well adapted to cold temperatures. We don't have very sharp teeth or long claws. We can't defend ourselves on our own, especially when you're dealing with things like big mammals or uh, you know herds of animals that can gang up together and, and really defend themselves pretty well. And so it was hard to survive for food, for warmth, and for safety if you didn't have a group of other people with you. And so those who survived were the ones that were brought in by the group. Now, not only did they survive at that particular period in time, but they also mated and passed their genes down. And those are the ones that were passed down to us. Those who didn't get accepted by the group, find some sense of belonging within that cave, they were cast out and they died along with their genes. So the genes that we all have up here in our heads, that means that we are wired to connect. We crave belonging. It is a survival skill that we have. And Brene Brown's definition of connecting, I think, is really interesting. She defines it as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued when they can give and receive without judgment. And then the third part, when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. Now, she's not talking about connecting in a business sense. Remember, she's talking about connecting human to human in a personal way. But I certainly believe that the first two parts of her definition are essential to connecting with couples as potential clients and as actual clients as a business owner in the wedding industry. So the first two parts are the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, and then when they can give and receive without judgment. Now, this is nothing new if you've heard me talk about this before. I've said over and over again about how important active listening skills are because it makes people feel heard and understood and ultimately important. And the way that Brene uses it, she, she says that you have to be seen, you have to be heard, and valued. But they're essentially the same thing. Just different words. Now, by the way, 
Brene Brown's second part of the definition includes no judgment, which explains why I don't like educating couples because it connotes the kind of judgment that puts off connection. When you are educating somebody, there's a judgment inherent in the conversation that you are in a position of power and they are not in a position of power, that you are in a position of authority and that they need to follow you and that what they don't know is something that they need to know. And there's judgment that is imbued in all of that. And so this is just as a quick side note, if you've heard me talk about not educating clients, this is why I don't believe in it. So getting back to how you can connect with them, you can do that throughout all different parts of the buyer's journey, different stages in in the decision-making process. But one of the best places to connect is on the discovery call. It's why you don't sell your services on the discovery call, but instead you ask questions, you listen with empathy and understanding, and you let the couple know how you can help them get what they want and need the most. And you can do this not just on the discovery call, but you can do it on the website too. You may have heard Katie and I talk about on the podcast and some of the workshops that we've done about how important it is to make your about section on your homepage and the entire about page on your website, not just about you, in fact, not mostly about you, but instead about how you get what your ideal client is going through, how you see them, how you hear them, how you understand them, how you recognize them. And that's super important for you to do if you want to truly connect with them. It's why you shouldn't necessarily lead with your favorite hobbies or your favorite beverages, whether alcoholic or non-alcoholic, or even travel destinations or about your family. Now, sharing fun facts like this, it's a great icebreaker, but you've got to back it up with real, genuine, authentic connection if you want to stand out from the other people that your couple is looking at. It's really the difference between, I don't say cocktail party conversation and finding somebody at that cocktail party that you really connect with and then pulling them aside and having a two-hour conversation in a dark corner. That is the person that you will remember, and that's the person that will remember you. That's the one that you truly connected with, and that's what we want you to do at every stage in the buyer's journey. Now, in episode 28 of the Own Your Business podcast, I talk about how to connect with your couples, and you should definitely listen to that one if you want to get some big picture takes on it. But today, I want to talk about some of the tactics of connecting at a biological level. And by that, I mean triggering those mirror neurons that all human beings have that make us feel connected to other people. Now, mirror neurons are part of your brain that fire when animals act and observe the same action being performed by another people. We see somebody doing something and these mirror neurons light up. We, we, we watch somebody doing something and we see these mirror neurons light up. And it's not just human beings. Primates and birds also have mirror neurons and they use them to do lots of different things. Among them, how to communicate and how to learn and maybe even how to connect. And now research is still being conducted, but some of the studies show that effects like automatic imitation and motor mimicry create a bond between people or groups of people. You can actually use physical mirroring to trigger positive emotions in others by imitating physical behaviors and communication styles. I mean, how cool is that? You can intentionally do things to trigger different parts of the brain to light up in people that you are around. Let's explore some ways that, that this is done. Have you heard me talk about buyer types? I mean, this is one of the most important things that I know of when it comes to connecting with other people, communicating with other people, whether it's on a team or in the sales process or the clients that you work with. Easily one of the top three things that you've got to get good at if you want to excel. Now, people are wired differently. And if you can stretch your natural way of communicating to make it easy for them to communicate and feel heard and understood, then you're going to have a better chance of getting them to like you. 
And we all know from research led in part by Robert Cialdini that we tend to be influenced more by people who we like. Studies have shown that people who share the same birthday as us, we tend to like them more. I actually have a past client and friend in the wedding industry who shares the exact same birthday, not just February 23rd, but the actual birth date of February 23rd, 1978. Katie has a friend and coincidentally former client of ours. She actually shared the exact same hospital, different floor, but same hospital and their kids, they have the exact same birthday. February 26, 2009, and they were born in the same hospital. Those connections, they never leave us, and they tend to keep people connected. Another way that we tend to connect with other people and and like them more is if they share the same name. It doesn't have to be the actual name. It can be just the letter of the name. When we have that in common, we tend to like that person more. Another one is places that we've been to. That's a great way to connect with other people is that we have that, that similarity. And we tend to like those people more based on where they come from. It's one of those reasons why if you met somebody who lived in, I don't know, say, Wichita, Kansas, it would be no big deal if you were in Kansas and you knew another person from Kansas. But the second that you go over to, I don't know, say, Europe, and you find somebody who is also from Wichita, Kansas, you're like, oh, my gosh, we're both from Wichita, Kansas. And immediately you have the foundations of a strong friendship. It's in part why fun facts that you share on social media or on your website or even during the sales process are good to get the conversation going because it can spark a surface level connection. But we want to dig into the deeper connections and we're going to get into that here in just a minute. Brene Brown is not the only person who talks about connections and Robert Cialdini isn't the only person who talks about how you want to get people to like you if you want to influence them or or connect with them in ways that are important for business. Dale Carnegie, he also talks about it when he says in his How to Win Friends and Influence People to talk in terms of the other person's interests. This is one of his, his, his techniques that he recommends. And it's why you shouldn't spend all of your time talking about yourself, but instead talk about what others care about. And when you, when you do this, when you talk about what others care about, it shows a couple of different things. Number one, that you're a good listener. And that's really important because they want to feel heard. They want to feel seen. They want to feel understood. But also, a second thing that you do when you talk about the other person's interest is you show that you care about what they care about. And this is important because that's how you're going to connect. You share the same values. You feel like you're part of the same tribe and they feel like they can open up to you and continue the relationship. And this is exactly what Brene Brown says is important to connecting. Another thing talking about listening, and this was a book that we did for our online uh, learning community that we have with ID Action. Uh, we read a book for our book club a uh, year, year and a half ago, and it was by a woman named Kate Murphy, and it's called You're Not Listening. And in there, she talks about, among a number of different things, about why people are not so good at listening, these things called support responses versus shift responses. Support responses are responses that you offer in a conversation that reinforce and carry on the current line of discussion. And shift responses are things that you say in response to a comment that the other person makes that pivot it back to you or to a different topic of conversation. All right, so shift responses, pivot back to you or something else, support responses, reinforce and carry on the current line of conversation. So let me give you an example, because this is really important. This for me was a real game changer because I'm always trying to improve my listening skills. I consider myself mediocre at best and, and I really have to focus on it. So 
one of the areas I realized after reading this book that I suck at is offering support responses. I'm really great at shift responses. I get excited about and I want to collaborate, but I forget that it's not my job to get excited about something that I care about. It's my job to listen and to learn and to connect with people where they're at and what they want to talk about. So here's an example of the difference between a shift response and a support response and how you can do a better job of making somebody feel heard. So let's say you're on a discovery call and the couple says, we're so excited to get married at Sunset Views venue. And you say, I love that place. It's my favorite at so many amazing locations for photographs. Now that's a shift response. Okay. They say, we're so excited to get married at Sunset Views venue. And you say, I love that place. It's my favorite. It has so many amazing locations to photograph. What would a better response be? What would a, sh a support response be? Let's say that the couple says, we're so excited at getting married at Sunset Venues. And you say, I love that you're excited to get married at Sunset Venues. Tell me more about what made you fall in love with it. So the couple says, we're so excited to get married at Sunset Venues. And instead of saying, I love that place, it's my favorite, it has so many amazing locations for photographs, you say, I love that you're excited to get married at Sunset Venue. Tell me more about what made you fall in love with it. Now, there's some things that you're doing here. Number one, you're repeating back some of the words that the fictitious couple use, right? Excited, Sunset Venues. You're also making sure that they have an opportunity to continue to tell you more about what they loved about it. And so you shift back into active listening mode. This part about using the words, really important. I'm going to use it to kind of transition into the concept of mirroring and how we can use mirroring in, in the sales process. One of the things that we want to do is we want to tap into what's called voice of customer. So voice of customer is using the exact words or phrases that your clients use, not words that, that you use or other synonyms uh, and not paraphrases, but the exact words that your clients use. Super, super important and a really great way to use mirroring in the sales process. I'll give you an example. So we do a ton of website copywriting. We have five full-time copywriters. We're working on you know, a lot of projects at any given time. And one of the things that we do is a deep dive into two different areas. Number one, the issues and desires and concerns that our clients' clients have, the couples of the people who hire us to write website copies. So we do extensive interviews with their ideal clients through email to get the information that we need. And what we want is we want to look at the information that we get back. Now, the second thing that we do is we do extensive interviews with our client and we record them and then transcribe them. And this is how we get the copy to sound like them because we are actually using their words. So this is the voice of the brand. So when our company writes website copy, we are implementing mirroring all over the place. We're using it in the testimonial requests. When we get the information back from our clients' clients, we collate the information and then we pull out choice phrases, words that we know are going to really connect with the other ideal clients because these ideal clients are using them. So we're using mirroring in the testimonials. We're also reading reviews and highlighting common words and phrases that we find in online reviews or in the comments that we see in social media posts from our clients, clients who are interacting with the brand. We're pulling those out and we're reusing them. We're mirroring them back to potential future clients. 
We're also going to reflect back to them in the initial inquiry or the correspondence during the sales process. So if we're going to recommend certain words or language we can use during the sales process, we want to look at the words if we're responding to a potential client, we want to reflect back to them the exact words that they use in the initial inquiry. If somebody says, I'm super excited to get married at this venue, you say, I'm glad you're so excited to get married at this venue. If somebody says that uh, they are uh, you know, nervous about being comfortable in front of the camera, you use those words nervous and being comfortable in front of the camera. If somebody says that they're stressed out about what the wedding planning looks like, you use the words stressed out back to them. If they say, I'm really excited about planning the wedding, you use the words excited about planning the wedding. Whatever it is, you are mirroring it back to them. You can even do this as simply as mirroring back the word that they use for the salutation. So if somebody says, hi, you say hi. If somebody says, hey, you use hey. If somebody says hello, you use hello. If they use a comma, comma. If they use a dash, dash. These simple things start to mount up. Now, you also, and this is probably the most important place that you can use mirroring techniques, is you can also feed it into the personalized introduction in your custom proposal that goes out after the discovery call. So you do the discovery call, you figure out what's most important to them, what their biggest issues, desires, and concerns are. You take excellent notes, you write down the exact words that they use. And then when you send out a proposal afterwards to tell them what kind of services, packages, and pricing you suggest for them based on what they shared with you, you use a few paragraphs to introduce real quick what it is that they had said to you. You reflect back to them their biggest desires and concerns, and you let them know that they have been heard and they have been understood and you use their exact words because that's how they said it to you. The last area that you can do this in is you can use this with your physical reaction or your physical behaviors. And that's on the discovery call, especially if it's on Zoom. So here's some things that you can use mirroring with in the sales process during the discovery call. You can use the same words, right? We've talked about that. But you can also match the tone of voice that your couple is using. So if they're neutral, you can use neutral. If they're upbeat and positive and excited, you're upbeat, positive, and excited. If they're speaking slowly, then you speak slowly back to them. And not just the pace at which they talk, but also the volume at which they talk. Some people, like I, I talk, I talk really loud. That's just my normal volume. Loud and excited and fast. And so if I was doing a discovery call with me, I would talk loud and excited and fast. Now, Katie, for instance, is more reserved. She's a little bit more deliberate and thoughtful with what she says. And so because of that, I, if I was doing a discovery call with her, would slow it down. I take it down like 10 notches in both the volume and the speed and the, the upbeat nature. I would be more neutral. You can also match the pauses between finishing and starting sentences during exchanges. If they tend to, to respond real quick, you can respond real quickly. If they take more time to respond to your questions or the end of your sentences, then you should do the same and, and try and match them. Also, if you're on Zoom, you can add in matching their posture. If they are uh, very uh, upright with their posture, then you can do the same. If they're leaning back, you lean back. If they're leaning forward, you lean forward. If they've got an elbow on the table and a hand on their chin, you can move towards that. It's just a natural, comfortable feeling for people to see what it is that they are doing themselves. So matching the posture, uh, matching the body language. So we've gone through different ways to trigger positive feelings about you during the buyer's journey. And that's really, really crucial because that's how we're going to get people to like you more. When they like you more, they're going to connect with you more. 
So some of these big areas are to mirror the physical behaviors on phone calls with the tone of your voice and pace at which you talk and volume, et cetera, but also the body language and your posture on Zoom calls. Second way is to mirror the exact language in your copy on your website and in your social media, on your correspondence, and in the conversation that you have over the discovery call. And then the third way is to mirror the communication style that your buyers naturally use. And that's something that we can go into on further episodes. And also you can go back and listen to in episode four. The golden rule, as I learned it, was treat other people how you want to be treated. We all learn that when we're very young, typically when we don't have the ability to truly empathize. Cognitive empathy is to be able to get out of your own understanding of the world and instead slip into somebody else's perspective. And so kids don't typically have that very well developed until they get older. So to keep them from you know, hitting each other over the head with toys when one kid takes it from the other, we tell them to treat other people how you'd like to be treated. But as we get older, we need to move away from that golden rule. That golden rule is not nearly as good as the platinum rule. And this is something that I learned from my coach, Laura Moriarty, with Tahoe Training Partners many years ago, back in November, December of 2013. And the platinum rule is to treat other people how they want to be treated. All right. Golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. Platinum rule, treat others how they want to be treated. And this is really important because when you do this, you get them to like you, to feel connected to you to feel recognized both directly and non-consciously because ultimately you'll make them feel valued and feel important. Do this from your heart because you want to help your clients get where they want to go. Brene Brown calls this concept wholehearted living. I like to think of this as wholehearted selling or at least making your business about the people you serve and what you give to them rather than what you make and how it fills your own creative cup. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 